Hello, everybody. This is the Good Mood Podcast. My name is Dr. Talia Margajani. I'm a naturopathic doctor uh, with a focus in mental health and nutrition and hormones. And this is episode 81. When my patients ask me uh, or tell me that they want to lose weight. This is a bit of an off the cuff podcast episode. I have coconut oil in my hair, hence the headscarf. I just wanted to get recording because this is something that comes up over and over and over again in my practice. A patient will come in, maybe that's their primary health goal. Maybe it's a a peripheral health goal that they've mentioned to me when their other concerns are getting better, such as digestion or mood and, or their sleep. And so they'll say, you know, I really would like to lose weight. Now, I don't know if, you know, there definitely is this equation with weight loss and health in, in a lot of people when they hear health and when they think of healthy living, their mind immediately goes to weight loss. When they think of a healthy person, they often think of a thin person. There's many associations in our mind that will dictate, you know, what, what health goals we feel like we need to have. Very often we get used to being bloated, having a low mood, feeling hungry all the time, feeling fatigued, not sleeping well, feeling stressed out. We get used to those symptoms. And so we don't necessarily, or like achy, like joint pain, pain in the body, we, those symptoms become our baseline and we don't really think of them as goals or things that we can change. Or maybe we did go to our family doctors and ask for help with these issues to be told, maybe to be run through certain tests and told that everything's normal, that we're just getting older, whatever it is. So what we often will stick to is weight loss as the goal, as the thing, as the, the way that we project perhaps our feeling of imbalance um, onto our bodies and, and what this, what we see the solution as being seems to be related to weight loss. So I see this a lot. I also see patients at the same time being a little bit ashamed to tell me that one of their goals is weight loss. So, you know, something about, so on the one hand, we equate being thin with being healthy. And on the other hand, we equate, um, you know, weight loss with something to be shameful of. And I'm not sure where that comes from. I think, you know, I, me- I remember when I first started seeing a naturopath back before I became a naturopathic student, I was ashamed or afraid to tell my naturopathic doctor that that was a health goal I had. I think it was that um, I was afraid that my naturopath would tell me I, ha- I should have other health goals. Perhaps I was afraid I'd be given more dietary restrictions and things like that. Um Maybe I was ashamed that I would be seen as vain or focus more on my body image than on, uh, you know, the underlying health issues. And so, you know, so people will bring up that they want to lose weight. Now, what we often will do is take matters into our own hands because this is, we we have been fed many, many messages on how we're supposed to be losing weight and what the cause of weight gain is. So, I, you know, imagine just for a second, what, you know, what comes to mind when you think of weight gain, weight loss solutions for, for such, right? So immediately the solutions that we are presented or that we are told work for weight loss are essentially restriction, calorie restriction. 
It's called the CICO method, C-I-C-O, calories in, calories out. If you eat less calories than you burn, you lose weight. If you consume more calories than you, than you expend, then you gain weight. And this is the pro- this is why we have obesity and weight gain. And the solution is to reverse it. Go on something like Weight Watchers. Decrease your calories. Count your calories. Go go running to to burn more calories. Track your calories. Do intermittent fasting to reduce your calories. Cut out carbs ultimately to reduce your calories, and so on and so on. The solution we have in our minds. And, and this is not our fault. This is a message that has been repeated over and over and over in our society is that we need to restrict and we need to expend more energy in order to lose weight. And so patients will start this. They'll be like, I started intermittent fasting or I started cutting out carbs, although that's, that's kind of tricky. So I think I'm just going to do intermittent fasting because it's something I have more control over. Um, I started, you know, reducing my calories. I've started cutting out this or that. I started running on the treadmill for 45 minutes a day. So is, does this work? And, you know, I think if you look at um, how long programs like Weight Watchers have been going on, uh, you know, they don't work. Now, and this is what I used to feel. I would always feel like, well, they don't work because I, I don't maintain them because they're difficult. And so, again, that's that sense of shame, right? It's like, well, it works initially. When you start a calorie restriction diet, you lose a pound a week, you lose two pounds a week. And sometimes that's not enough for us. We want to be losing faster. So we're really drawn to like when you're in the grocery checkout line and you see those magazines that are like lose 10 pounds in three days, right? This is like something that we're, again, these repeated messages that tell us that this is normal, this is attainable. If we're not getting those kind of results, we're doing something wrong. There's some issue within us, not with this repeated messaging, right? When you hear a message over and over again, we humans are social animals. And so we're very primed for repetition. When we hear something repeated over and over again, we sort of in the social sphere, we take that as truth. And then if it doesn't match our reality, we start to question our own reality versus the messaging that we've been given. So when you go on a calorie-restricted diet, yeah, you'll lose weight. And But what inevitably happens is that we hit a certain point whether that's five pounds, 10 pounds, one to five to 10% of your body weight or the amount of weight you want to lose, we, things start to slow down. It starts to get a lot harder. We start to notice more fatigue, more cravings. Uh, we start to notice um, more hunger and we stop losing weight. And we're probably even still on the plan, but then we think, well, maybe I'm not doing it as well. And we start to restrict even more. And we start maybe to binge eat more and we start to quote, cheat a bit more. And then we end up plateauing, gaining the weight back and then back to where we were. Often we gain more back. So when people say they want to lose weight, it's not just that they, you know, so I will say to them, it's not that you want to lose weight. You want to lose fat, right? I mean, if you want to lose weight, go to the moon. That's, that's the joke of my uh, course. You weigh less on the moon, right? It's like you weight is just, you know, it's a, it's a relationship between mass and gravity. And you don't even, ju- you don't even necessarily want to lose mass. You want to lose fat mass. A lot of the time when we're doing caloric restriction, and I go through this in my course, you weigh less on the moon, when we're doing these sort of restrictive diets, we're losing body fat, but we are also losing muscle mass. And, and nobody talks about this. It was, oh, you lose muscle mass. And people are like, well, whatever, at least I'm skinny. You're losing bone mass. You're losing organ mass, including brain mass. 
So your organs are getting smaller. The actual tissues in the body that are performing functions you need them to perform are also getting smaller. Our metabolic rate slows, our stress hormones increase, and we increase insulin resistance, especially in female bodies that are governed by estrogen and progesterone. When more stress is added to your system, insulin becomes more resistant. And we'll go through this a little bit more. So when people want to lose weight, what they typically do is they restrict. So they either time restrict their food, they restrict their calories, they go into plan lightweight, like Weight Watchers or something like that, which is restriction, which is caloric restriction. They cut out certain things. Again, that's restriction. And they expend more energy. So they'll do typically cardio because cardio on your Fitbit or when you put that into your calorie tracker, it tells you you burned about 600 calories per hour that you do that activity. Whereas weight training, it it doesn't look as good. Walking, it doesn't look as good when it comes to caloric expenditure. So people will go into plan like that. They'll start eating salads, like, you know, and then, and then they'll, they'll notice initially some weight gain, but they'll also notice if they're paying attention, low energy, more cravings, more hunger, they'll notice eventually a plateau, usually in about a few months or so. And then they'll sort of fall off the plan because it's unsustainable, not because of willpower, but because your body is literally rebelling against you. And then they'll end up, um, you know, giving it up or just kind of eating the way they normally do. Now, when people, you know, have the goal of weight loss, what they're off, what they're also often contending with are other symptoms. And a lot of these symptoms are not necessarily, you know, acknowledged by their family doctors. They're not necessarily symptoms that they've had relief from unless we've been working together um, and actually finding and uncovering the root cause. But these will be symptoms like low mood, sugar cravings, anxiety, disrupted sleep, especially in the middle of the night, bloating, digestive issues, constipation, hair loss or poor hair quality, joint pain, achiness, stress, irritability, mood issues, cognitive issues. So these are all the issues I see, right? They're all issues of inflammation and slowed metabolism and issues with mitochondrial function and nutrient deficiencies and issues with impaired circadian function and cortisol resistance and insulin resistance. So why do people gain weight in the first place? Well, our body puts fat on to store energy. It's our savings account. So, you know, if, if someone was yelling at you to get rid of your savings account, you'd be like, well, I don't know, like I'm going to need that someday. So your body stores fat as energy. Well, not just for energy, but it also stores it as brain mass. It stores it to protect your organs and your bones, but why we would store excess body fat is, is energy. And and the signals that tell the body to put on fat are hormonal signals. These hormonal signals occur after we eat. So insulin, after we eat a meal, our blood sugar rises and our body releases insulin to tell the, to, to put glucose in those cells where it can be used for energy. Insulin also puts on bone mass. It puts on brain mass, puts on muscle mass, and it tells the body to store fat. It's an anabolic hormone. Cortisol redistributes fat around our body. So it takes fat off of, um, you know, around skeletal muscles, such as like legs, arms, hands, and it puts it in the, in the abdomen where it can be used readily because 
when we are stressed out, our body thinks it's going to need to metabolize some of this fat. Either there's a famine happening or we're being chased by a tiger. We're going to need to burn some of that fat. Now is the time to dip into your savings account. Something's going on and we need this energy. Now, this is what we've been saving it for. Estrogen and progesterone balances and imbalances in those hormones as well as testosterone will encourage uh, body fat deposition or breakdown. So these different hormones are telling our body fat you know, to, 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 um, get put on our bodies. Similarly, uh, different hormonal signals will tell our bodies to break down fat. Now, a, a typical, uh, so, you know, one of the main issues where people are starting to notice, cause a lot of when patients are sort of like ashamed to say they want to lose weight, but they'll ultimately say something like, I just don't feel like myself or, I just feel like something's off. And when we dig a little bit deeper, sometimes this desire to lose weight actually comes from this sense that something isn't right in their bodies. So they're feeling more achy. They're feeling irritable. They don't have the energy they think they should and so on and so on. They're, maybe they're, they're also trying to be healthy and they're not really noticing any changes in how they look and feel. And so it's not just the weight loss they want, and it's not even just the fat loss they want. It's this, it's this general feel, wanting to feel better, wanting to feel healthier, wanting to feel stronger, and, and wanting to look better, wanting their efforts to reflect how they see themselves, how they hold themselves. So we have to talk about insulin resistance if we want to talk about weight gain, and we have to talk about stress as well. So, you know, when we eat, like I said, blood sugar goes up, uh, you know, our, our blood sugar. So the amount of glucose sugar in our blood has a certain, uh, threshold, a certain window below that we feel terrible. We feel shaky. We feel dizzy. We feel anxious. We feel nauseous. We feel extremely irritable. We cannot emotionally regulate. Think of a, a four-year-old with a temper tantrum. Um, and when our blood sugar returns back to that normal threshold, we feel we feel balanced and satiated. If our blood sugar goes too high, that's toxic for our body, for our organs and for our cells. And so we need our constantly to keep blood sugar within a window. Cortisol is a hormone that will raise blood sugar and insulin is a hormone that will lower blood sugar. Both of them are associated with weight gain and fat redistribution. Cortisol is a breakdown molecule. So we'll break down fat and put it in different areas of the body, whereas insulin will store fat. So if you think of like, the blood sugar roller coaster. You wake up in the morning, eat a croissant. You're going to have this huge spike of blood sugar, a, a large release of insulin, which is going to tell your cells to store that glucose to make energy. The more sugar in your blood, the more insulin needs to be released, and then your body will will use the sugar for energy. It will store it in cells, and uh, and it will probably also put on fat. Now that this large insulin release will also eventually result in a in a blood sugar crash where you'll feel the shakiness, you'll feel hungry, you'll feel, you'll, you'll have sugar cravings, you'll feel irritable, you'll feel anxious, you'll feel nauseous. Some people don't feel hungry and therefore they don't even know that this is happening. They just feel off. They just feel irritated. They just feel overwhelmed. They feel cogn like it's difficult to uh, function cognitively. And, um, and this is all a result of having low blood sugar. Body releases cortisol accentuate some of these symptoms, these stress symptoms, returns blood sugar back to normal. Then we eat more sugar and we go back on that roller coaster. Now, over time, 
this and cortisol also is a stimulator of insulin because it drops blood sugar. It stimulates, um, uh, insulin and inflammation. And, uh, and this whole picture can lead to something called insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is when the glucose no longer readily goes into cells. It no longer readily responds to insulin and therefore more insulin needs to be released in order to get the same glucose response in order to get the same amount of glucose and sugar into cells. The cells become so packed full of glucose that they're saying, look, like no, no more people can get in here. Insulin's knocking at the door. Like let, I got some more sugar out the door, let them in. And the, uh, glucose receptors on the cell or like the bouncer, they're like, look, you can't get any more in here. And then all of a sudden there's more and more glucose and more and more insulin at the door of the cell. Finally, the cells are like, okay, a little bit more can come in, but there's this resistance happening when the cell is empty of glucose, a little bit of insulin shows up at the door and it's like, yeah, yeah, come in, come in, come in. In fact, we have a promotion ladies, ladies free. Now that the cell is so full of glucose, the insulin is not, uh, is not creating the same response. This is what we call insulin resistance. So the cells are not listening to insulin anymore. What we end up with is higher fasting insulin and eventually higher fasting glucose, which, which starts to become prediabetes and diabetes. However, 88% of adults in North America have some sort of metabolic dysfunction, which is insulin resistance prediabetes or diabetes. So only about 12% of people have normal functioning glucose and insulin. I will test this in my patients by, uh, by looking at fasting insulin and fasting glucose and doing a calculation called HOMA IR, which will tell us, okay, there's insulin resistance here. Your cells are, uh, you know, they're on some point of the continuum where they're not responding to insulin anymore. And therefore there's a little bit more insulin in order to keep your blood glucose at this level. Most of these patients, unless they have prediabetes have normal fasting blood glucose. Sometimes their fasting blood glucose is 4.9, five ideal levels, but in order to keep those levels there, they're releasing massive amounts of insulin and this insulin is blocking their fat loss. Now, these patients are also not really eating a lot. They're in, in the, the typical diet. This is the, the, um, the diet of the typical like 40, 50 year old patient is cereal in the morning or oats with like maybe some fruit, obviously sometimes low fat milk or low fat yogurt. Then they'll often have a snack, some sort of fruit in the middle of the, of the day because they're hungry because that breakfast didn't sustain them for five hours. Then they'll have lunch. They'll have, they're usually not typically that hungry for lunch. So they'll have like a salad or a sandwich or a wrap or a soup and maybe like an egg or some chickpeas on that for a protein. Then they'll be extremely fatigued, tired and run down in the afternoon. Some have a snack such as like, uh, like a sugary snack. Some, you know, exert their willpower and don't eat anything. Um, and then they come home, they have dinner. Dinner is usually a more balanced meal of like chicken, rice, vegetables, or something like that, but sometimes pasta. And, uh, and then after dinner, they'll often experience tons of cravings as their body is finally like, okay, now I can get the nourishment that I need. So these people are not eating too many calories. They're often pushing themselves to exercise, like to run on the treadmill or, or do something outside. And they're experiencing these symptoms of fatigue, of issues with sleep, of irritability. If they're going through perimenopause or menopause, they're experiencing hot flashes, et cetera. 
Now, then they often respond, well, there's not really less food I can eat. So let me try intermittent fasting. Let me just cut out that breakfast meal. So my first meal will be at like one o'clock or 12 o'clock. So most of these patients, they're experiencing insulin resistance and they're experiencing a stress response. And that stress response is furthering their insulin resistance. So what is the answer when, when a patient is experiencing that? Like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, their response will be to go on a calorie restricted diet, to do intermittent fasting, to start running. What this does is further increase their cortisol and can worsen the problem of insulin resistance. So they get this initial weight loss because their body is forced to, and then they get a plateau, they get energy conservation, they get more cortisol and these other these symptoms of fatigue, of issues with sleep, and et cetera, continue to worsen. So we have to change the frame. Instead of thinking of weight loss, instead of thinking of fat loss, instead of thinking of restriction, we have to think of building, building metabolism, building muscle. This is the solution. Now, this is a totally different solution and a totally different strategy from restriction. And it requires a completely different mindset because with restriction, we're used to initial weight loss, then the plateau, then you know the weight regain. With this strategy, you likely won't see many changes for the first at least six weeks. You, you might start feeling like the, the other physical symptoms get better, but you're not going to see the scale change. You might, after the first month and a half, two months, start to see a bit of scale change. But as your insulin resistance heals, as your stress response heals, as your metabolism gets healthier, as you can take the glucose from your blood into your cells more easily, as you need less insulin to do that, as you stop releasing insulin, as you stop relying on cortisol to balance your blood sugar, you start to notice this slow and steady change in your body composition that will reflect in how you look and feel before the scale. And then you might start to see the scale drop. Now, as you start reaching your set point weight, which is a range where, where we easily maintain our weight, where if we eat too much, our appetite drops. And if we eat too little, our appetite increases, that could be a range of 10 to 30 pounds. My, my set point range is about 30 pounds. So it's a very large range. Um, as we start to hit that set point range, we start to accelerate uh, the, these changes and then it becomes very easy to maintain them as long as we maintain this lifestyle. So what do we do? So what we need to do instead of focusing on fat loss is focus on muscle building. Now, this is probably not what you wanted to hear because I always get resistance from this with patients. They're always look at me and they're like, wish you wish it was just like weight watchers and cardio. And I'm not sure why, maybe it's because we're used to that. Maybe it's because like we're kind of readied ourselves mentally for the, the struggle that's about to ensue. Maybe it's a bit of an addictive cycle. Maybe it's because we get the results immediately. This strategy requires trust. It requires you know, just consistency, commitment, and letting go of the goal of seeing the scale drop because it's not going to change for several months. Although you are going to feel better more immediately. And this is what sets you up to solve the problem because insulin resistance 
is likely, it's not an issue of like, we think, okay, it's because people are eating too many carbs. And then I talk a lot about seed oil, especially if you follow me on Instagram. Yes. There's issues with our mitochondria. There's issues with our nutrients that can affect insulin resistance, you know, low magnesium, too much stress, too many flowers, like easily absorbed carbs, blood sugar, roller coaster, all of that can cause insulin resistance, but stress is another major factor that contributes to insulin resistance, stress and inflammation. And we get caught in a vicious cycle in our body where insulin resistance is an inflammatory condition. It causes stress. It contributes to this blood sugar roller coaster. And, and then stress further contributes to the insulin resistance. And so that's why we end up where we feel sore and tired. And, you know, we just have this general sense of malaise as well as extra body fat that we don't want. So we need to build muscle. Why? Because muscle is metabolically active in the opposite way that fat is muscle burns energy. And this is what we've we always hear it's like muscle burns more calories than fat. So when you're just sitting here, if you have extra muscle on your body, you're burning more calories. Okay. That's great. That's one reason why muscle is important. The other reason is that muscle soaks up blood glucose. So after a meal, when your blood sugar rises, your muscle, especially if you're moving, but even if you're not, your muscle will soak that blood glucose up in order to use it. Muscle does not require insulin to absorb glucose. Therefore, when you eat a meal that has higher amounts of glucose in it, or you eat a meal that has a normal amount of glucose and eat a meal in general, your blood glucose will rise and the muscle will soak it up and you won't need as much of an insulin response. As your muscle gets better at doing that, it can reverse and, and, um, and heal insulin resistance. And there is some research now that insulin resistance begins in the muscle that the muscle is the first tissue in the body to, to become insulin resistant. And that's where everything starts. We also know that muscle is important for healthy aging. It prevents injuries. If you're about to slip and fall on some ice, if you have enough muscle on your body, you don't, there's less impact because your muscle protects you. You have more, um, you have more ability to stop yourself from falling or to control how you fall. And it's not just about total muscle on your body. It's about the quality of the muscle. How strong is it? How flexible is it? Muscle, um, it, it, like I said, it helps improve this hormonal function. And so when patients are dealing with excess body fat, it's like what you see, right, is the symptom. It's like the, the classic thing with natural medicine. We talk about treating the root cause. So what you see in is the weed in your garden that you don't want then you start to see, oh yeah, okay. There's a lot of weeds and they're all kind of, I wonder if they're connected. Okay. They are kind of connected. We don't want to just chop these weeds off by the head and say, okay, problem is body fat. I'm going to try and get rid of body fat by starving it. We have to look at why is that? Why is the body fat there? Why does your body want this? Because having body fat is not a disease. You're, this is a normal function of your body of the way that your body conserves energy and protects itself. What the issue is, and when we look deeper on the roots, we're like, okay, there's insulin resistance, there's excess cortisol, there's these hormonal imbalances, and there is this uh, imbalance in, in muscle health. The muscle on the body is a not uh, abundant enough, there's not enough muscle mass, and it's not being nourished and it's not being cared for. That's the solution. 
So how do we do that? So the first thing you have to do to correct metabolic uh, health is protein. So protein deficiency is a big reason why somebody would be muscle wasting, not have enough muscle. It also, so protein, and I talk about this so much. So please listen to the other podcasts about protein and check out my course, You Weigh Less on the Moon for uh, more information about protein, about metabolism, about diet culture, about all the things. Protein satiates us. We eat to hit a certain threshold of protein. Protein slows dopamine clearance from our brain. So we have more dopamine around in our brain to feel motivated, to promote positive mood state, to focus, to promote executive functioning, which is the ability to start complete a task and not feel overwhelmed by it, not feel like I don't know where to start with it. Being able to handle, like I was running a course a couple of years ago and someone's like, how do you do all these things? I was like, oh, I just eat protein at every meal. You just, you have more mental and emotional and physical capacity for things because you are, your blood sugar is steady. You have the, the chemicals in your brain are renewing over and over again. It's kind of like the battery on your iPhone. If you getting enough protein at every meal keeps that battery full from getting drained. So your executive functioning, your prefrontal cortex has the nutrients it needs. Now there's some research that we hit a, a satiation point of protein. So we will eat until we get enough protein. And so this, this describes that pattern where people don't eat enough protein at breakfast, right? Cereal and milk, not much salad with some chickpeas, maybe a boiled egg for uh, lunch. I'm oh, sorry. Breakfast is the, um, is the cereal. Then the lunch is like the salad. And they might have a, then there's craving sugar, right? Cause they're on the blood sugar roller coaster. So they might have the snack at, uh, at um, like mid afternoon. And then they have the, the dinner that finally has chicken or fish or something on it or meatballs in the pasta sauce. And then, and, and so their, their body's trying to hit this protein threshold all day. Um, but it's running kind of on cortisol to keep blood sugar steady. And then that's when they start reaching for the chips, right? So we don't really have signals of taste that, that gear us toward protein, except for the taste umami and salt. So umami and salt is in potato chips. Potato chips also provide this immediate comfort and serotonin high because of the carbohydrates in them. So people will find themselves at the end of a bag of potato chips wondering, you know, or, or drinking wine or something. And they're wondering like, why did I binge eat? And like, I have to address my emotional eating issues. I have binge eating issues. The issue in 99% of those cases is protein deficiency. If they would wake up and consume 40, at least 30, but more like 40 to 50 grams of protein at their first meal, whenever that meal is, they would likely not experience that those, those binge symptoms later on in the evening. And they probably wouldn't experience a crash at any time of day. They would experience better mood regulation. They would feel more capacity to handle BS, right? Um, more energy, more cognitive energy, more willingness to want to do things, more motivation to do things, more of this resilience, this robustness. One of my colleagues and friends and I always talk about like robust is the new skinny. We don't want to be like emaciated and smaller and just have a lower number on a scale. Like this used to be sort of the like the signal of willpower and like, you're a better person if you're skinny and like, you've got your handle on things. No, it's, it's robustness. It's being able to land properly when you fall. It's being able to repair your body's tissues, which are all made of protein. Soldiers in world war II 
were given 250 grams of protein a day if they were injured. And a lot of the messaging on how to help soldiers was like eat a plant-based diet because we want to use all that protein, all that animal protein to go to the soldiers. So one of the best ways that you can prevent if you're injured, if you're sick, if, you know, if your body needs help repairing, especially if you've been stressed for long periods of time, where you're in more of a catabolic, you've been in more of a catabolic or breakdown state. We say breakdown and burnout, right? But that is actually is what's happening with our body, right? Stress breaks down the body. When you've been in that state for a long time and you're experiencing these symptoms of low energy, of fatigue, of mood issues, of hormonal issues, we have to rebuild these systems by giving our body protein, which will boost the metabolism, get our body building things. It's like stimulating the economy, right? Like protein is the stimulus check that gets people, that gets your liver starting a new business and gets your brain investing in like whatever, <laughs> I don't know, NFTs, I don't know. Um, so it's all about protein. Nobody wants to hear that either. Nobody wants to hear about muscle building or protein. And this, these are the two things. So you want to lose weight, got to build muscle, and you have to start off by consuming protein. So dietarily, what do you eat? Protein. So we'll start patients off with this. That's it. Like, should I eat carbs? What about uh, sugar? Okay. If you want to cut something out, cut out white sugar, cut out seed oils, cut out white flour. And then no one's like, no one's into that either. But make sure it doesn't even matter. The first step, make sure you're eating enough protein. How much protein? So the RDA recommends 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight. And that is to prevent muscle wasting. So that is the bare minimum to function. And we've taken that for some reason and thought like, okay, this is, this is like how much protein I need to get a day. No, because the RDA also says vitamin C at like 20 to 60 milligrams or something like that. And if you are sick or you, you want to supplement vitamin C, go take a look at a vitamin C supplement. It's like a gram of ascorbic acid. Um, I think you can get 200 milligrams or something like that in Brussels sprouts of vitamin C. So 20 milligrams prevents scurvy. It prevents your teeth from falling out. 0.8 grams per kilogram of protein. Again, it's like bare minimums. So you stay alive. So you don't get Corsicor, which is a disease of muscle wasting where all of the protein floods your bloodstream and creates uh, inflammation and lymphatic congestion and swelling because of the osmotic gradient. And so then that's where you see the children with the really distended bellies. And now people who have protein deficiency in North America, who don't have that extreme level will experience swelling and edema and lymphatic congestion and sluggish digestion because the body doesn't have the metabolic rate to promote healthy digestion. So down the line, you start to experience things like SIBO, dysfunctional motility, you start to experience constipation because now the thyroid's not working as well as it should. You start to experience hair loss, hair thinning, broken nails. You start to experience uh, wrinkles and, and breaking down of the skin. All of these things are a result of the body not having enough of what it needs. Low libido, low energy, disrupted sleep because you're on a blood sugar roller coaster. So eat enough protein. So how much should you get? So I, the average male eats hundred grams a day. The average female, 70 grams a day. I would say that that again is a, is a bare minimum and that th the research is showing for supporting your body, for repairing, for healing from disease of which insulin resistance is a condition to heal from all the symptoms I mentioned are conditions that you want to heal from, right? You're not 
maintaining. You're trying to heal your body. You're trying to support your body's ability to heal itself, to overcome this vicious cycle, whatever it is that is creating these symptoms for you and preventing you from living the life that you want to live, where you have energy and you have a positive and balanced mood and you have motivation to, and you have goals and you, you have the energy to achieve these things and your body feels good and, and pain doesn't hold you back. So the recommendation for that is about 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight. The recommendation I make to patients, which is often difficult for them to achieve, especially if they don't want to eat meat, is one gram per kilogram, one gram per pound of ideal body weight. So if your goal is 130 pounds, you want to be eating 130 grams of protein. I weigh about 150 grams. And so my goal is 150 grams of protein. And it's difficult to hit that. So what I will start people off as, if that's too big of a goal, is to start the first meal of the day with 30 to 50 grams, higher the better, of protein for that first meal, whenever that is. Ideally, it's an hour or two of waking. So what does that look like? And then the rest of the meals, try and hit 30 grams of protein. What does that look like? It looks like four to five eggs. That's about 30 grams of protein. Four to five ounces of chicken or fish or meat or, or tofu two cooked cups of lentils if you're plant-based. So plant-based sources of protein, you need to be hitting much higher amounts. It's about six cups of quinoa. It's about um, two cups of yogurt, but you can add some protein powder or four tablespoons of collagen powder to your yogurt. Um, or you can do legume pastas like black bean pasta. Uh, a cup cooked will give you about 30 grams of protein. Now, animal protein is better quality protein. It's, it's better, better absorbed. It has all the amino acids as well as B vitamins, carnitine, uh, taurine, and all these other compounds that are really beneficial for human health. Um, and, and it stimulates muscle mass. So you need at least 30 grams per meal to stimulate muscle synthesis. I would say if somebody is experiencing binge eating, if someone's body is in need of repair because they've been in this stressed out catabolic state, and most of my patients with mental health conditions are experiencing this, like their, their brains need extra support, their hormonal systems need extra support. I'll try and recommend 30 to 50 grams a meal. Again, we're trying to hit that one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight with these patients. So we'll sort of coach them now this. So, you know, when we talk about like nutrition changes and people want diet plans, they want meal plans, just this piece of advice will sometimes be a couple sessions. Sometimes patients don't understand why this is important. So they don't really take this on. This is what part of why this podcast is happening. Um, they don't really realize that it's going to help them feel better. They don't make the connection between the bag of potato chips at night and the cereal that they had for breakfast in the morning or the croissant or whatever it was, or how they just had instant oatmeal, or didn't really want to put protein powder in the oatmeal because didn't like the taste of it as much. And so when you start adding in protein, especially at breakfast, you notice changes pretty quickly, immediately to your cravings and your satiation. That's the first thing for me. As soon as I start feeling hungry and crave things and bingy, then I immediately look at the protein uh, intake that I've had in the day and find out that it's insufficient, that I wasn't getting enough. The second part is 
to focus your exercise on muscle building. So this is stimulating your muscle to function. Now, cardio is fantastic for supporting your mitochondria and it doesn't need to be a run. It could be going for a walk every day for 30 minutes. Now, if you go for a walk for 30 minutes after dinner and you have insulin resistance, that will drastically improve your insulin resistance and really speed up the process of creating a more insulin sensitive body and reducing your blood sugar. Patients who have full on diabetes, when I recommend this to them, it drops their fasting glucose. So you go for a walk 30 minutes after dinner, hopefully in nature, go outside in the sun. All of this supports your mitochondria, your cardiovascular health, mood, puts you outside, helps you roam, which is part of human nature is to go roaming, exploring your environment, seeing people. That's a a daily baseline practice um, for general health as part of the weight loss, muscle building, metabolic restructuring, healing strategy. But you also need to add in strength training. And nobody, again, wants to hear this either. They're like, I just wish I could go on the treadmill. Now, strength training is tough because there is a barrier to entry, right? Anybody can like grab a pair of running shoes and try and run. But strength training is a bit tricky because there's a proper form, there's the repetitions, a little bit of a science behind it. So a good idea, if if this is totally new to you, is to just hire a personal trainer and tell them that your focus is on muscle building. And then just learn how to do weights. But there are so many programs online that you can use. And uh, there's there's some people that I like, like Built by Becky on Instagram, Sonata Greca, Heather Richardson on YouTube, um, you know, so, so some of these people that like it, you know, I would, and I often recommend to my patients just start off a couple of days a week, like no more than 20 minutes. You can repeat reps. So, I mean, you can like do sets. So reps are how many times you do the, the exercise, like the squat and sets are how many times you repeat that. So it's like 12 repetitions of a squat they do that four times. Those are your, you're doing four sets of that exercise. So sometimes don't, don't repeat, don't do, don't do, don't repeat sets, just do squats, do lunges, do uh, deadlifts, do them without weights and just start there. You can do, so things like power yoga, things like hit, those are okay, but taking weight and, and adding resistance, whether it's a resistance band or a weight, like a kettlebell or going to a weight machine, that is more effective. It's faster. It'll get you, you, your results faster, especially when you're adding protein. And so this is ultimately what you want structured in to your uh, plan. Um, so yeah, so that's really it. It's eat more protein, do strength training. And it's actually super simple. It's a lot simpler than being hungry all the time. It's a lot simpler than obsessing over food, writing everything down. You can track your protein. And it's something that I recommend to a lot of people, track your protein just to see what it's like to be eating that much. But then after a week or two, you're going to know, you're going to have your, there's not that many foods that have protein, to be honest. And most of them come from animals. So you're going to have your systems in place and kind of know already. You'll, you'll know how much chicken breast to buy. You'll know how much beef to make. You'll know what a serving looks like. You'll have it dialed in in a couple of weeks and then you don't need to track anymore. And that's it. And then you just eat protein and, and add fruits and vegetables to what you're consuming. So you're eating protein and then you're doing your strength training. So maybe it's Sunday night and Wednesday, you start doing more weights and you, you per- perhaps consider increasing that to three to four times a week. Um, 
increasing the, the, the heaviness of the weight, making sure that you're focused on your form. So maybe hiring a personal trainer, doing an online course, looking in the mirror to make sure that the form is correct or taking a course like Tracy Sider's uh, alignment building course, which starts off really slow where you're just learning the alignment of the body and then starts building more resistance as you go. Um, to start to wake up muscles that have not been in use. If we've been spending most of our time sitting or doing sort of linear um, exercise like cardio or walking, where we're not using lateral, we're not using our um, our hip uh, uh, abductors, you know, to make lateral movements. We're not using our inner thighs. Like there are certain muscles that are just underutilized in the typical modern human body. And so Tracy will teach you how to kind of sort of wake up and feel those muscles like a personal trainer would. Um, but that's it. So this is it. This is the plan guys. It's a strategy. You, you know, you, you start it off, you start to notice some of the more subtle benefits like, okay, my, I'm not craving as much. Maybe that's the first month. I just really don't, I'm not that hungry. I, I don't really care about food. Like I'm excited to eat ice cream when it's ice cream time. But I'm not desperate for it. I'm not hungry for it. I'm not curing uh, blood sugar dysregulation with it. I'm having less like internal mood swings. It's it's I'm I'm exerting less willpower trying to you know handle things in my life. I just feel more spontaneous energy, more motivation for things. I want to do things. I want to do extra things. I I feel less inclined to kind of sit on the couch and to eat sweets and to try and hit my dopamine receptors in these other ways. I feel. Like I'm, you know, I'm just more there cognitively and more present. Maybe that's the first thing you notice. Then you start to notice now I feel like my sleep is better. Maybe my digestion starts getting better eventually after it gets used to digesting that amount of protein. And then eventually you start to, you know, you feel this internal resilience, this internal robustness, because as we build muscle, as we build external strength, it directly correlates with our mental strength. Adding muscle and doing strength training boosts something called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor, which builds brain cells. It also gives insulin something to do. Now, insulin's job is to build muscle, not build fat and become insulin resistant. Now you have cells that are welcoming glucose because they need it. Because now muscle is like, I need to build, I need to expand, I need to strengthen, I need to become more metabolically active and awake, and therefore I actually need all the glucose that you're giving me. So when you eat the carbs in your meal that you normally do, now your now your muscles like okay, amazing. This is what I needed. Thank you. Along with the protein to stabilize blood sugar. It reduces stress hormone because now you're no longer in this protein deficit in this sort of wasting state. You're no longer going through these um, blood sugar roller coasters and you're no longer restricting and depriving your body. So your your stress hormones can take a break. They can be like we'll come back when there's a fam- like an actual famine. And then we'll, you know, so next time you start restricting them, then we'll come back. Um, and, and so you'll start to notice these things initially. And then eventually you start to be like, you know what? I am noticing more muscle definition. Like one patient was like, I don't want to build muscle because I just end up fat with muscle. And that is an intermediary process, but the eventually the, the body as you become more insulin sensitive and as your metabolic rate improves, that fat gets broken down. That fat gets utilized to feed the muscle of your body, gets incorporated back into organs. We see this pattern when people are healing from 
eating disorders like anorexia, that often they'll start to increase their calories and they'll start to overshoot their set point with body fat. The body puts on more fat during a healing state because of inflammation and also so it can store extra weight and then use that energy or store extra energy and use that energy to repair the tissues and organs that have shrunk during the, the time of deprivation. So a lot of the time, if we're experiencing excess weight, if we've been on a yo-yo diet, a lot of that fat is there to, as like an insurance policy to help the body repair. And so you start adding muscle back into your system. Eventually your body starts to use that excess fat, that excess energy to repair the body, to invest in muscle, to heal your liver, to heal your gut lining, et cetera. Um, one of the uh, doctors I follow, Dr. Pran on Instagram talks about how when you're eating, when you're not eating enough protein, your body gets that protein from its organs. It gets it and it starts with the stomach lining. This is one of the reasons why we have gastritis, inflammatory gut conditions, leaky gut, SIBO, all of these gut conditions, they manifest after years of protein deprivation where the body has had to tap into its own res like reserves in order to, um, to get the protein it needs to function. So you start adding that protein back in the gut lining heals, and this all takes months and months. If you look at people on Instagram, like built by Becky, you see that she has been in this process of building muscle and, and, and healing her met met metabolism over the course of three to four years. So this doesn't happen overnight, but if you think of, and this is why it's so tricky to sell First, there's the barrier to entry. Second, it's because it's different from what we've been repeatedly told over and over again. Even if that, that, that repeated message has never worked for us, it's still different. And then there's this element of faith, right? You have to just kind of do it. You got to eat more protein, do strength training, and then put that goal on the back burner and just be consistent and focus on the immediate rewards or the things that you notice, the changes that you see, as opposed to whatever the ultimate goal is, know that you're investing in your future and in your health. And then if you ever get sick, if you ever get chronic disease or autoimmune disease or an infection, or if you're, if you fall or get injured, that your body will be able to heal so much faster because it has the muscle mass and it has the protein and the nourishment to be able to do that. And it's not in a chronic stress state. Um, know that it's preventing you from mental health conditions, from hormonal conditions, from these hormonal changes that occur in our lives as we go through perimenopause. And know that we need more protein and more muscle as we age. That it's a lot easier to put on muscle when you're in your 20s. In your 40s, you probably need to be hitting more of that higher threshold of that one gram per pound of body weight. And that's even more important for you in order to maintain your muscle because muscle is lost so much more easily as like with every decade that we age. And it's so much harder to put it back on once it's lost. And that the, the number one thing, the number one asset you can have to protect yourself against the effects of aging is to have enough muscle in your body. And so all of this is setting you up for proper health, metabolic health. You'll be in the 12% of people that have good metabolic health uh, for the rest of your life. 
So don't think of it as like, okay, in the next three months, we've been taught to have these short-term weight loss goals because that's what we see in these magazines in, in 10 pounds in three days. Okay. So in 30 days I could lose, you know, like 300 pounds, I guess, whatever. Um, we have to think of it or 30, what is it? I don't know, 30, 300 pounds. So we have to think of it as that doesn't work. That's nonsense. Forget all that stuff. Get it out of your mind and think about eating protein and doing strength training. And then, and just trust that process. Learn to enjoy it. Find weight training that you like. The, the good thing about weight training is you don't have to do it very much. Like last night I did a, a round of squats with 10 pound weights. I did a round of lunges and then a round of Russian deadlifts and that's it. And I just repeated that. I did three sets of about 15 repetitions for each exercise. I did some, some core work. The whole thing was like, 20, it was like a 20 minute podcast I listened to at that time. And, and so it's, once you get into the rhythm of it, it just becomes something you do like brushing your teeth every day and just becomes something you have to do. Uh, eating protein just becomes as simple as eating. Like it just, a meal just has this much protein in it. That's what needs to happen, right? Like we used to think about vegetables, like you need to have vegetables on your plate and have fruit on your plate. Okay. Well, you need to have protein on your plate. And that's actually probably more important because that is the, that is the substance of the food and we're not getting enough of it. So we're replenishing a deficiency that's likely accumulated over years, um, so these messages are difficult because we haven't heard them before, but you're going to be hearing about this more and more and more in the coming years as the research starts coming out and becoming more solid. And so I really encourage you because we're hearing about protein and blood sugar regulation all over the place. And now I'm feel redundant because I, you know, everybody's saying it. So I would say, get on this now. If this is your goal, patience, hopefully this is encouraging. I don't even know if this is the way you need to hear this message, but eat more protein, lift weights or do strength training, which ultimately means flexing your muscles and encouraging your muscles to fire, encouraging your muscles to get stronger, encouraging your body to put and invest energy into muscle mass. And the more muscle mass you have, the more you soak up glucose, the less insulin you need, the less insulin resistant you become the easier it is to lose body fat, but also the easier it is for you to regulate your mood, regulate your energy, protect against injury and chronic disease, protect against the effects of aging, keep stable when your hormones are, you know, going through this, this perimenopausal state, be more resilient against stress, feel more physically and mentally and emotionally robust. This is the answer. This is the strategy. Um, and so I, uh, let me know what you think. If you're a patient of mine, you want to talk about this, book a book a follow-up, let's talk about it. And if you're new um, and you want some support in getting started, let me know. Let's book an initial and let's talk about it. Um, there are ways to break this down, make it manageable, focus on, on pieces at a time, have a strategy in place so you know what to do and that in six months from now, you're on the road to feeling great. Thanks, everybody. Take care.